and we've got hockey to talk about, real live hockey. Uh, Canada beats the U.S. in overtime at the Women's World Hockey Championship. And who else scores the winner but Marie-Philippe Poulin. Uh, first gold for Canada at the Worlds since 2012. The U.S. had won the last five. Canada had only won one since 08. Uh what a game. Nick, I know you were watching uh, this one. Uh, unbelievable overtime. And just it, it seems like it always comes down to the wire, right? Yeah. Like how many of these gold medal games between Canada and the U.S. have gone to overtime over the last several years? It's remarkable. It's one of the best rivalries in sports, if you ask me. And like that finish was outstanding. Yeah, was did you think like, it was in? Because I was celebrating and then I realized it was still going. No, I, I was I was pretty convinced that it was in and like. Poulan knew it was in. Yeah, she like, she was emphatic about it. It was like, yeah, great shot. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, like it's always like the shooter knows. It's the same as that Patrick Kane Cup winner against Philly uh, a few years back. Like, yeah, the only guy on the ice that knew it was in was the guy that shot it, and he's halfway back to center ice, throwing his gloves and stick up in the air. And his teammates <laughs> yeah. are literally asking him, like, "Did you score? Did you score?" Like, Poulin is. I mean, it was it was a dart, and yeah, I was celebrating and like. I, by the time I even I think she was back on the bench by the time I even looked back at the television and realized that they hadn't whistled it down and then you're just you're waiting yeah. for the buzzer right and then you know it's over yeah that's, yeah, yeah and, you, exactly. and everyone knew as soon as that buzzer hit that was it but what a great game sucks that that's how they had to celebrate it though like sitting on the bench in anticipation like waiting for a buzzer instead of getting like the kind of typical celebration but those games are always so close like it's they're, yeah. they're a blast to watch i've i've watched half of it i was busy last night and i've got half of it watched and paused and i'm gonna watch the rest of it after this it's the rare game that that is that holds up on like you know you already know the result the usually you just yeah, scrap it's still, it but it's still worth watching yeah totally worth it uh, watching canada beat the u.s never gets old <laughs> yeah exactly there, there was nothing typical about the celebration including blair turnbull um yeah. <laughs> man that was unbelievable i couldn't like at first i didn't realize it was her who got hurt um and i mean she and, like, was didn't see it happen until she uh, like they had her over by the boards i i wasn't sure if it had taken place like at the end of the game or in the celebration at first and then you see the replay of it i don't know who it was that drug her out from the bottom <laughs> of the pile and like snowshoot her over to the boards but that shot yeah, of her crazy. on the stretcher is awesome Oh, it's iconic. Yeah, that's like <laughs> it's classic. Iconic for sure. Yeah. A part of our heritage. Broken <laughs> fibula apparently, um, but uh, supposedly it's a clean break back in 6 to 8 weeks. That's according to Megan Johnson on Twitter. So, um that's good news because Nova Scotia proud. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was a huge, you know, moment. I was I was really happy for for Blair and for Jill obviously, the two Nova Scotians and it's kind of bittersweet, you know, aside from the fact that she was celebrating on a fucking gurney. Um the uh <laughs> just the fact that, you know, it was supposed to be at home and and they didn't get to to do that ultimately, but um you know, it, it was uh it was a hell of a night and uh, I mean, right back to it, right? Like the, the Olympics are in a matter of months, so hopefully she'll be uh, back to a hundred percent by then. But uh, oh man, I couldn't, I couldn't stop smiling. Like once you really, because it was literally, I like they were handing out the the medals, and I was kind of looking, and I heard them call her name, and I thought, did 
she come up too quick and I missed it. And then that's when I realized, I think that that's the first time I heard them talking about the fact that she was hurt. And then I, I thought, oh God, I hope it's not too serious. And then here she is wheeling out with just the biggest grin in the world. It's like, okay, she's, she's good. So yeah, uh, really fun game. Gold takes the pain away. Oh yeah. It, it was, uh, it was, oh, and I mean, especially like it's been, it's been a tough go for them at the world championships. Like I said, like, you know, they, they've had their number at the Olympics, but, uh, you know, the, the results of the world championships, like it, it's hard to look at, you know, anything else, but to say like, maybe the U S has kind of surpassed Canada a bit here with recent results, but, um, it's just, it's always so, so close and so competitive. And, and frankly, like, you know, I, I thought that Canada was the sharper team through the tournament and I wasn't too, too surprised that they ended up winning it. Obviously they, they had a big result. They handled against, them pretty good yeah, the first time. The, mm-hmm. the preliminary round they handled them. So it, it was, you know, not entirely unexpected, but obviously Americans stepped it up. Uh, I thought the Cavallini was, was you know, shaky, not just in in that game, but I think in maybe the quarter or the semi that I was watching, whichever one she played, and I was thinking maybe that bodes well for Canada, and then she didn't end up getting the start. Hensley was incredible for the Americans. And both goaltenders were yeah. outstanding. Like D- it, the game yeah. as a whole, like that was incredible hockey. I don't care what anyone says. That was like oh, entertaining so as good. hell with great goaltending, lots of chances at either end, right down to the wire, dramatic finish in overtime yeah. from Captain Clutch. Yeah. Yeah. What more could you ask for? So much fun. And again, we get to do it again in <laughs> a few months. Those ladies play physical hockey, too. I know oh, yeah. like, everyone says there's no hitting, but when it's the Canada and the U.S. out there, like yeah. they throw their weight around. They don't just you know get in each other's way along the boards. They finish their, their oh, yeah. checks, and you know there's significant contact more often than not. Yeah, the, the whole like rubbing out thing is a pretty loose term because yeah. they're full on body checks at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's just a great rivalry, and hopefully we'll get to see a little more of it soon. And we'll, we'll talk a little more women's hockey later in the show. Um, not the only thing going on in the hockey world, of course. This is like the definition of dog days right now. But the Carolina Hurricanes gave us. Lots of entertainment, Oof. lots of fun content uh, over the last Sassy. week or so uh, when they offer sheeted Jesperi Kakaniemi from the Habs um, in clear retaliation for the Sebastian Ajo af- offer sheet from two years ago. Um, and uh, what gave that away? Yeah, <laughs> the, the clear, deliberate trolling on Twitter that followed it. Uh, what was your favorite part? I, I enjoyed the the French tweet. I think was my yeah, favorite and, and they even changed their bio into French. Like, yeah. It's just it's the sassiest thing I've ever seen from a, an organization on social media, and it was like clearly a a fully cool like from the top down. Oh, coordinated yeah, event yeah. like they, between they the front office and the their social own. media team like, yeah very coordinated <laughs> and, and not to be like too much of a cynic but like coordinated to the point where i'm thinking hmm, to carolina like you know obviously they're like the fun team the the goofy social media twitter team and, and that, that kind of took a hit with the whole tony d'angelo signing this summer did they look uh, you know, at their bedfellows, kind of look over to their right and the the other team that's kind of been at the bottom of the barrel with them morally this this year, this summer, <laughs> and just decide to fucking hit them with a haymaker sucker punch. <laughs> and like, hey, it's all on you now and we're fun again. Yeah. 
I I think I like the uh, the the like repurposing of the Bergevin quote. That yeah, was, that, that was, was great. Like my favorite. He, he sees what we're doing here and he wants to be a part of it or whatever the hell it said. That was good. That was a nice touch. Yeah. I love the the signing bonus, the twenty dollars signing yeah. bonus on the six point one million dollar contract. Like, not only is it Sebastian Ajo's number, who this offer sheet was in retaliation over. It's just kind of funny because the whole talk at the time when Montreal tried to get Ajo was that Carolina wouldn't, you know, have the financial might to match the the signing bonus money. So like for them to totally low blow it uh, the other way around is just hilarious. yeah. I feel like that was the most like the thing that they took the most offense to was that they could just put a twenty million dollar signing bonus on the deal and that would mean that they couldn't like that like that felt like that was like the. The, the kind of thing that made them retaliate, or and they were clearly offended by it. <laughs> like when you yeah. see the like the way they responded. And how long were they sitting on this? Like, was it, has it been like two entire years where they're just like, I can't fucking wait till we can sign. I can't <laughs> just wait waiting for the opportunity, and it was quite the opportunity <laughs> because you know it's it, it almost reminded me a little bit like obviously a completely different situation from what you know Dustin Bufflin was dealing with. But I just I, I, I kind of thought about it from like a roster management perspective. Like you remember when Winnipeg kind of like made the decision uh, we're going to let Myers walk, and then all of a sudden Bufflin's gone, and, and now it's you know a little bit of like a similar kind of idea where they say oh you you let Deneau walk you didn't want to pay him now you're fucked and yeah. what do you think they're going to do like I, I mean they've got a couple more days they'll take it right right up to Saturday but do you think they're going to match it or no oh man that's the thing Carolina they this is a really smart strategic offer sheet for them because it, it's only a one-year deal they have the space to like overpay I don't think anyone would try to argue that today's version of yes, Barry Kakinemi is worth over $6 million. But in order, like that gets them into your organization under team control. And for all we know, they could have already made a handshake agreement about a long-term deal. He's going to sign next summer. If Montreal chooses not to match it. And uh, I don't know if John, not to cut you off, but I don't know if you um, listened to Friedman actually kind of suggested that on the 31 thoughts pod that, that, uh, I remember Friedman or Merrick, but that was kind of a discussion that maybe there is something in the back pocket for for later. I I, I didn't hear that. No. Well, you're you have the same brain. You're on the same level, <laughs> so that's a good thing. Well, it just makes sense, like as a you know strategic way to inject a young, potentially high valued asset into your organization in an unconventional manner. Like they they aren't necessarily beholden to pay him six plus million dollars into the future you know unless they can't get that contract done and they have to that's the other thing here is like if montreal decides to match that means his qualifying offer next summer is a lot more than he's worth currently so there's so many layers to this decision for montreal i think carolina put it together really well um especially if they know that Kakinemi really wants to be there and it kind of seems like he does which is another part of this whole thing well that's the whole thing about him saying after the playoffs to people close to him or whatever that he played his last game with the Canadians and like I I thought he was pretty good at least in the the Leafs series like I noticed him he was physical like I didn't understand why he was a healthy scratch I I never really got that I kind of don't mind the player but also if you're going to get a, what's the compensation of first and a third for this yeah. price range? Yeah. That's pretty good. 
like that's not horrible to if if you don't match and that's what you get in return to use that to package that together with some sort of package to go out and get you know another center or something like that like that it's not it's not catastrophic if they don't match i don't think like that's pretty fair value yeah i just wonder like how high is carolina's pick realistically going to be And, and it just it puts them in a really tough spot right now like who's their what's their center depth even with Kotkinemi in-house like letting him go out the door they've got some serious roster questions if if that happens and then it's like Jake Evans Jake Evans yeah like I I don't even know they didn't they only signed Hoffman up the front didn't they yeah I believe so so they didn't there's no centers coming in um you know, I, I'm a little sour that Hayes is back from vacation because I, I so wanted to make this point and then he beat me to it on overdrive, I think, on his first day back. But like the the original sin here was picking Kakiniemi third overall, wasn't it? When you kind of like yeah. look at it like, I mean, not to make it too meta, but like. Uh, I mean, you you reach for a center. Um, you know, I I always liked Kakiniemi, but I liked him as like a you know in that like seven to nine range maybe. But like centers were going high that year. It was same with Barrett Hayton, and you know that's where they felt they had to get him. And now all of a sudden, you you he hasn't developed like you know a typical third overall pick because he wasn't a third a typical third overall pick in terms of like how you're projecting him. And you know, not only and have you let yourself get frustrated with him and kind of stunted him a little bit now a team has kind of come in and eaten your lunch a little and, and you know it's yeah like you said a lot of layers here yeah montreal really has no one to blame but themselves like, like you said they probably reached in the draft to, to get him in the first place they almost certainly rushed him into nhl duty oh, yeah. when they probably should have sent him back to finland for at least a year after drafting him you know that, that's where this whole you know relationship began to to de- deteriorate right away between Kakinemi and the Canadians. They, they expected too much of him, and now like th- that also made it so they were forced to make a decision on him at an even younger age. They could have pushed his ELC back a couple of years by you know keeping him over in Finland for that first year, sending him down for some time with the uh, AHL squad in the second year. They would have only had his entry-level contract expiring when he was, you know, 23 years old instead of 21 years old. And, and that's the thing here is he's still so young. Maybe he hasn't, you know, popped yet, but he, he's a intelligent player. He's got a lot of skill. I, I think there's still a chance that he could be something. And if, if Carolina can get him into their organization, uh, that's a nice get. I mean, he hits everything that moves, too, like uh, noticeably physical, which I didn't expect to see. Yeah, yeah, I I think that he's uh, again a pretty, like I like the player and and I think you know he he's a little bit more of a project and again you know Nick you make make a good point about like getting him in too early and that kind of screws you on the ELC and now you're in this situation and that's that's a tough spot to be in especially you know when you have the center depth issues that you do and it's it's you got to risk you know are you going to let a guy walk for a package that you certainly wouldn't trade him for if you were offered it straight up and you know or are you going to sign him for a contract that you don't know if he's going to be worth and you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if if 
And I mean, you could always just not qualify him at some point. You keep giving him one year qualifying offers, and maybe that's ultimately what they do. I, I kind of feel like they're going to have to try to make it work, but I don't know. Maybe maybe they just you know let, let him go. And and I mean, I know that some of the underlying numbers haven't been super hot, but again, like it's it's a development question more, more so than you know. I don't think anyone thinks that what he has been is kind of the extent of his capabilities, right? Like it's it, you're very much letting a guy go who could become that six million dollar guy uh, and he's going to do it with someone with someone else if if you you know make that decision so um it's going to be interesting i feel like the, the with with it, if he really did request a trade or or you know maybe he hasn't requested a trade formally but let his agent know that he wants to sign an offer sheet or you know doesn't want to play for montreal anymore and if that's known in the front office like you're getting yourself into another like Pierre-Luc Dubois situation where it just drags on and on and on and it's a circus and then you layer on the fact that it's Montreal and they bring him back and he's on record saying he doesn't want to play there they're not gonna like I'd cut cut bait take the first and third and just move on like I I I just unless they figure out a way to trade him for something better than that I just don't see how he comes back to the team if that's true Montreal is just in such a strange place as an organization like they're forced to try and keep the window open for as long as they have carry price but like they might be forced to give up this 21 year old center and they don't really have anyone to replace him with to compete this year it's they're and they just lost their number one d and their number or well they're they're shut down most impactful center it, it might feel like we're being overly critical of a, a team that you know just made their <laughs> just way to the us. fucking stanley <laughs> cup finals and you know broke our hearts again in the first round of the playoffs but you just you look at their team on paper and it's it's a huge downgrade from last season in my opinion and i think that last season they you know they benefited from getting hot at the right time and having some decent luck throughout the playoffs and uh, they're going to be in tough in the Atlanta and barely year, getting in in a division that was not good. So good luck. This they got time in around. on loser points, but like it, it doesn't take away from what they ultimately did. They no, made absolutely the not. Finals. But again, like, to me, you know, I, I think that the uh, the other point, like I, I think that there is a, a, a solid chance that they will keep because you know the hockey is so conservative and do you really want to see him tearing it up in another uniform if that's what happens it's like guys will take all of the losses as long as you know they don't get made to look like a fool right that's how hockey culture is and i i think um you know there is definitely an argument argument to be made for them to keep him but i think yeah if i found myself in that position especially like not just looking at it like in a vacuum with the player but looking at the overall situation it's really going to be an interesting test of what do the Habs think they are because you know it's always felt like they think that they're pretty good and once they get into the playoffs they can compete with anyone and and are they clinging to that because if so they're going to match it and if they let them walk maybe that's kind of the admission that like this division is really good maybe we need to rethink this but I, I don't know if that's the way this organization is thinking right now. Yeah well said. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about our team. Um, because there was some big news in the well, just talking about one guy. Um, Austin Matthews had wrist surgery, um, and Ugh. this is—I mean, this is tough because you know we we obviously this was something that we talked about 
um, throughout the year. It was something that was bothering him. It was something that, you know, I suggested, I think at one point that it seemed very obvious that he was going to need surgery. And then like a week later, I'm eating my words because he's just ripping pucks into the top shelf again. And it looks like nothing was ever wrong. And a couple of days off did seem to do some good. And now all of a sudden, here we are and it's wrist surgery and the timeline probably takes us into training camp. So uh, what happened? Like, wh- wh- who? I-, I guess he just tried to rehab. Why the, wait? why the wait? Yeah, I don't get why it took so long. Like, they said it was because he had ramped up his training recently after thinking some rest and rehab would, you know, fix the issue. And it became clear once he ramped up his training that that wasn't the case. But like, for an injury that hindered you all season, forced you to miss time, like I, it just doesn't make sense to me for him or the organization to let it play out that way. Yeah, like there has to have been doctors along the way here that saw that it needed surgery prior to him ramping up his training and feeling something. Like that, I just don't buy that. Like there's, it just doesn't doesn't check out for me. It seems like one of those things that it involved second and third and fourth opinions or something like that before it was finally settled on, which seems to be becoming a, a bit of a trend in hockey about some disagreements between teams and players and players doctors and teams teams doctors. I hope it isn't a saga like that that comes out later, but. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, I, I mean, and that's you know, it's it's so hard to talk about medical stuff. We just don't know what the hell's going on ultimately, yeah, right? We're but, speculating. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, it's it's just any time that it's going to drag into camp, it's it's a concern. So I, I, I don't. I'm not too worried about it. Like I'm, I'm, you know, it's it sucks. When I mean, he, he tore the league to pieces with basically one good wrist last year. So if they can fix what was wrong with it, you know, yeah. Might be all yeah, right. it's scary. It's scary because your franchise player had surgery. Like, but ultimately, it seemed it should be a good thing. Knock on wood or yeah. whatever. The, the only concern is just you're going into to camp and you're testing out. You know, now you're you're back in the position where you're testing it out again, and and what's yeah. you know, hopefully it's fine. But like, what are you going to find? We just don't yeah. know. And ultimately, you're you know, it's camp's going to be underway before you likely even get a chance to get an answer to that question. So, um, I guess we'll see. Uh, we don't really know what the hell's going on with training camp, though, so we can't really say for sure that he's going to drag in a training camp with this injury because we don't know when or where it's going to be at this point. Um, I, I would suspect we're going to get some news on that soon. Uh, all we know right now, really, is that the Leafs will be participating in the Traverse City Rookie Tournament, which is hosted by the Detroit Red Wings. That's a a big tournament every year. Um, It's happening September 16th to 20th, and the Leafs are holding a rookie camp prior to the tournament. Um, So that runs the 9th to the 14th of September. So um, starting to ramp back up, starting to get back into it. Um, The Leafs Nation, Nick, has had some pretty good coverage of prospects and also of this camp uh, and, and some invites. Kyle Cushman had a, a good piece breaking down uh, some of the, the players who've been invited, which is no easy task. It's not like a, a release that gets put out. You got to like, no, he, he put in a lot of, the, yeah, he, he was doing some digging to yeah. put that list together. Lots, uh, yeah, lots of tweets. Great work by Kyle. Lots of great tweets work, to go yeah. through. So, um, 
but ultimately, like we're not going to cycle through all these names, Nick. Uh, you know, there's quite a few on there. I think we've mentioned one or two on previous episodes. But uh, any standouts? And if you want to see the full list, it's at theleafsnation.com. Um, any standouts for you from that list in terms of guys you're interested to see? Maybe they'll earn a, can- a, a contract with you know with the Marlies or in the organization somehow. Yeah. Well, we we saw like. Pavel Gogolev last year, you know, after going undrafted multiple times, he he came into the organization on an AHL contract and played well enough to earn himself an entry level deal. So that this could be a path to a an NHL contract for some of these uh, development camp invites. A, a guy that I think is really interesting is James Hardy. Put up some really good numbers in his uh, first year of draft eligibility uh, with the Mississauga Steelheads in the OHL. Uh, I think he had like over a point a game at 30 plus goals. It, it was kind of surprising for a player with that kind of offensive profile to go undrafted in his first year. And then of course, last year there was no OHL season, so he didn't really get a chance to redeem himself and make good on that. And, you know, once again, went undrafted and now the Leafs are bringing him into development camp. I think he's a guy that, you know, he, he can put the puck in the net. He's got a great shot. Uh, he's a guy that is worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, a um, couple interesting names to me. One of them was uh, Theo Rochette, who yeah uh, is yeah an interesting prospect. Not um, you know a guy I've seen a lot of, but I just remember when he came over to the Quebec League, it was kind of a whole thing. Was he eligible for the Q draft or or the import draft, and that he ended up being a first round pick in the Q draft and and came over from Switzerland and. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people talk highly of his skill at the time, and uh, he's put up some decent numbers. So um, that's an interesting one. And the other other guy that I'm interested about is Brett Budgel, who uh, is a guy who actually had a cup of tea with the Chicago Steel. That was the season before Ryan Hardy joined the club, but uh, possibly some connections there. He did come over to the Quebec League with Charlottetown, uh, enjoyed a pretty good career there. Newfoundland guy, too, so maybe he ends up on the Growlers eventually. But uh, just a, a guy who plays like he's been shot out of a cannon. Great four-checker, uh, likes to shoot the puck, likes to throw the body. He's uh, six foot, so not a small guy, plays with a lot of energy, so uh, he's someone I'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, and speaking of the Growlers, um, they have some news as well that we wanted to talk about because we are the official podcast of <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs fans in Atlantic Canada. <laughs> Branded. Fully um, endorsed. The uh, the Growlers have hired a new head coach. Uh, John Snowden was the outgoing coach who took over midway through the inaugural season, led them to the Kelly Cup and uh, stayed on, um, you know, through their first few seasons, but uh, has now moved on. He was with the Orlando Solar Bears organization as well before they moved to Newfoundland and and, uh, now moves up to the Marlies to be an assistant coach there. Uh, Eric Wellwood has been named the third coach in Growler's history. Um young guy 31 years old uh how does that make you feel (laughs) uh ancient he he was with the flint firebirds in the ohl for three seasons and um now the head coach of the growlers uh that's kyle's brother as well kyle wellwood who uh finished just shy of the scoring lead for the saint john's maple leafs during their final season in 2004 2005 
if you didn't know. Oh, full circle. Yeah. yeah, that was the full lockout year. Uh, 87 points in a full 80-game season for Kyle Wellwood that year. One point behind leading scorer. Any guesses? What year was it? 0405. Oh, God. And the lockout year, so yeah. it would have been an NHL player. Mm. Mm. Like, oh, <laughs> Ponikarovsky or something? Is that too... David Ling. Oh, David gross. Ling. <laughs> uh, Halifax's oh, own. Um, yeah, Matt Stajan, Carlo Koliakovo were also on that team. Um, hey, do you want to remember some guys? Do you want to remember some Leafs? Absolutely. Other guys from that team, Brad Lieb. Brad Lieb. Ben Andres. Ben Andres. Ben, oh, God. This is like a hall Clark of shame. Wilm. Clark Wilm. Clark Wilm played for the St. John Flames for a long time, too. He was a fan favorite. He was a caveman beast. Cameron and I have a, have a buddy that we used to hang out with who was a massive Clark Wilm fan. Cameron, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Oh, I do. And he now looks exactly like Clark Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love him. Uh, Mark Morrow. Like M O R O? Mark Morrow? M O R O. Yeah. Do you remember Mark Morrow? He, I think he was the captain of uh, maybe the Marlies when they were just, first there. Just a regular remember. fucking murderer's row here. Just. Yeah. Uh, uh, Harold Drukin is the go. last one I had jotted down, but it is a goldmine of of Leafs ghosts uh, of past years past. Um, wh- what were we doing? Wh- why didn't we go see that team that year? Full season lockout, like what the hell was? Were you thinking over here and well, we in, were like Atlantic Canada, fifteen years old. I mean, old yeah, we were young. <laughs> we had, we had commitments. We had commitments to yeah. to our hockey teams. Yes, I know, but I, I got should have been putting the bug in my old man's ear. Instead, I got the trip to see the Leafs get their dicks kicked off by the Habs in my grad year. Instead of going to that, that would have been much more entertaining. I haven't been to Newfoundland since I was two, but maybe that will change because the other news from the Growlers was that they are staying in Newfoundland, signing a three-year lease to remain um, in in their current home, mile one. And this is quite a, a row, it seems, because they've been... You know, this requires, I think, a little more reading maybe than I've done, but I I try to dig a little bit into some of this and um, really interesting. There was some some weird stuff with that whole thing. Well, I remember reading a little while ago. Yeah, I mean, even the releases when this was announced that that they're staying on for, you know, another three seasons. um, But, you know, the, the problem is that they were they were in larger scale negotiations i think trying to maybe buy the arena and uh it seems like those fell apart now they're they've signed a lease to to stay on board and um you know there were some other aspects to this as well um basically deacon sports and entertainment which is is the group that owns the growlers um you know they had been in talks with St. John's Sports and Entertainment, which which owns the arena and, and kind of runs things from an entertainer's perspective in the city, um, they had been in talks about a possible lease, and uh, the St. John's Edge, which was the NBL team um, or is the NBL team in in Newfoundland, uh, you know they they were going to to 
take to buy them and and you know have you know two teams and, and figure something out a larger deal and then the the city basically turned around and said oh we've got we've already got another basketball team and they pulled in another team from another league and now the St. John's Edge are, are without a home and and kind of trying to figure out if they can even make it work in St. John's with two professional basketball teams and I mean I don't think that the prospects of that are probably very good right so i mean it's it's kind of a slap in the face when when you're negotiating with someone about about you know this um whatever deal you're trying to work out and then you just kind of turn around and pull a total leverage play except it's not a leverage play you just brought in another organization so i i mean i i don't feel like it's uh all you know, sunshine and rainbows right yeah. now. It's it's still very much not resolved, even though we have a, a sort of resolution. I guess. I remember reading about and and I'm gonna I'm not gonna get too far into this because I don't remember exactly all the facts about it. But I just remember reading stuff on the website for the for mile one about all these renovations and things that were gonna. It was like there's gonna be a movie theater and there's gonna be a a live performance center for bands and there's gonna be all these different things that it, like. I think like amusement park type stuff and arcades attached to it, just like a full entertainment plex. But it it was reading like it was happening or happened. But then as you read it, you were like, and if this sounds interesting, you need to contact like the, the, uh, like the owner of the growlers and stuff. Like it was just a weird passive aggressive, right, yeah. like ne- public negotiation. And like, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's super uh, copacetic there, but at the same time they're, you know, they're locked in for three years and, we should uh, we should That's we should evaluate stability as an East Coast as hockey an East, league yeah. team. Um, ask for. And we should evaluate the possibility of a lamenting the Leafs live pod in Newfoundland for a Growlers game. I, th- I think I that, think that, it's got to be dialed up. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a screech in has to happen <laughs> yeah. live on the air. There's there's a lot that could happen. There's a lot of possibilities that could be explored. There, George Street Festival is sure. going on right now, and it's so hard to watch a bunch of friends that I have that are there and their Instagram stories. It just looks like so much fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. Those are like my simultaneously my my most and least favorite because I yeah. just I always want to be there. The, the lineup's always so good, and it looks like such Blue a time. rodeo played last night. It looked amazing. Wicked. Um. So yeah, some some exciting stuff happening with the Growlers, and uh, be keeping tabs on them. Um. Wanted to uh, follow up on something that we talked about in our last Patreon episode because. Uh, the fallout from the Jared McCann situation this summer with the Leafs led us to the question, uh, who is your favorite non-Leaf Leaf, which we tried to, to answer uh, in our last Patreon episode. And we just kind of kicked around a few names and we, we put it to the people. We put a poll out and Jared McCann got 45% of the vote ever so slightly edging Recency out. Recency bias. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's a big part of that for sure. Um, and it, it, he's he's the guy that it's like we're going to have to see him in another jersey this year. You know, none of these other guys are that boat, right? Um, but uh, Olaf Kolzig, 44.3. So it was very close. Like I said, the guy deserves his own wing in, in the um, – you know, non-leaf leaf hall of non-leaf. <laughs> um, other got 7.1% and uh, Martin Skula uh, polling in at just 3.6%. Uh, other suggestions, because, you know, if, if you voted other, we asked for, you know, who do we miss? Because we knew we'd miss some. And we missed some big ones. Nathan Horton, uh, Rafi Torres, 
which I didn't even Google to check these. I, I Some of them, I'm not even 100% sure they're right, but I vaguely do remember Rafi Torres. I'm pretty being sure a, like they acquired Torres and immediately said he's not going to play for us or something like that. Wasn't he like a part? Wasn't it like a three-way? Yeah. So like, That's not the they, first instant suspension of Rafi Torres' career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it was this, yeah. It felt like a salary tra- paper transaction kind of thing, but maybe not. Yeah, I think I think he might have either just got turned right back around or and sent elsewhere or or just stashed for like the, you know, last 20 games of his contract or something at the deadline and then moved on. I thought of another one that no one mentioned, Jared Cowan. Yeah, that that is a good that, one. That yeah. qualifies. He, uh, yeah. He never like he never even suited up for like preseason or anything, right? He was just a pure that was a pure like let's do a wacky cap space move and buy cap space somehow. Well, um, they didn't, and like that was in the Lou era, wasn't it? And it yeah, was that like, was like he arguably had, he Lou's had best knee, move as he had GM. knee injuries. He had a knee injury or something, and he was saying that he didn't have an injury, and Lou made the injury happen. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and it was the way that the contract was structured that he was. Uh, he was like whatever it is under 25 so the buyout is less and because of the way it was structured they actually got the the benefit a cap benefit if they bought him out which uh you you got to do it yeah you gotta it, do he it. was acquired uh, in the the deal to send dion Phaneuf to ottawa that was just like a real stroke of genius from old lou yeah oh yeah yeah uh, Taylor Beck and uh, a big one that, that we missed Robin Leonard which I totally oh, yeah. forgot about but that was recent so that was a big one so thank you t- for all of the responses um, so we will wrap things up more or less for this one but I, I wanted to loop back um, kind of bookend this with some women's hockey talk again Canada a big win at the Worlds over Team USA what a tournament they had um, and I, I neglected this off the top so i wanted to make sure we congratulated uh troy ryan and jim midgley two nova scotians on the coaching staff as well we've talked about uh blair turnbull off the top jill sonier of course as well you know it was an interesting year for them like um i remember watching the women's team a few years back and kind of thinking that blair was part of this you know up and coming kind of star group and and jill had had, you know that role player um kind of role locked in and it's kind of uh was it was a little different where it was blair seems to be the role player player and and jill didn't seem to get a lot of ice time in that that gold medal game i don't know if you noticed but she wasn't out there much at all um so kind of fourth line minutes but blair blair is part of that uh they were calling it the power kill uh with emily clark and um just so much speed in her game so gonna be exciting to you know hopefully they'll both be ready to go and and there um when the olympics come up in february um but yeah, again, Troy Ryan, Jim Midgley, um, Troy Ryan, the head coach, and Jim Midgley on the staff as well. Um, Jim was the head coach of the Halifax Mooseheads after being a longtime assistant there. He got the reins just before the Memorial Cup season, and they had a few hiccups, and uh, he got the axe. And I, you know, I thought he kind of got the short end of the stick there, and it was, you know, it was a circumstance thing. Like they wanted to, they they ended up going with a hired gun for the Memorial Cup year, and and decided that was the way to go. But uh, I thought he was a pretty good coach and, you know, real a real uh, players coach, too. So he actually just got hired into the New York Rangers organization. So moves on from uh, from the women's worlds and right right into New York. And uh, that's that's exciting stuff for him. So Nova Scotia, well represented. That's right. And they'll be back, too, because uh, the Dream Gap Tour is coming to Truro. 
baby. Speaking of lamenting the Leafs meetups, yeah, that's that's let's do baby getting steps shitty and start and with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Dream Gap Tour is coming November 12th and 13th. Um, four teams will be here, so all but Minnesota. you got uh, Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, and Boston, which is now uh, where it was New Hampshire last season. They're uh, hosted in Boston now. Um, so just a couple days of action, basically a semifinal and a final, and uh, players will also be you know taking part in skills clinics with uh, the local you know girls hockey organizations, uh, speaking engagements as well. So it should be a, a great time for, uh, you know, local um, girls in hockey. And, uh, yeah, excited to, to see that get back in action with the Dream Gap Tour in uh, November in Truro. Um, yeah, it's it's a very condensed uh, schedule because I think that they just said that they're going to do another Worlds next year as well. And they usually wouldn't in an Olympic year, right? But got some ground to make up, so... All right, we are going to record some uh, Patreon content uh, for the good people. Um, so you can subscribe to our Patreon if you have not done so. We're going to try to ramp things up as we get a little closer to the season. As we mentioned, we've got prospect camp coming up. Um, so we'll we'll have a little more prospect talk probably. Next time we come to you, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of NHL 22 we were talking about Austin Matthews and the wrist uh, surgery. He, he is also on the cover again. It caused a little bit of a stir. Uh, big NHL 22 guy. So we'll, we'll get into it uh, on our Patreon episode. We're going to wrap this one up with our good pal and resident Canadians fan, Andre Pettipaw. Uh, whenever we spend time laughing at Montreal, I feel like it's good karma to give the fellows another spin. And in particular, because they're getting back out on the road. And of course, we're recording this from the East Coast. And we already mentioned Truro, Hubtown. Uh, hosting the Dream Gap Tour in November. Andre Pettipon, the Giants, will be in Truro at a festival there, Rock the Hub, on September 12th. But I think most of our listenership is in Ontario, particularly in the GTA. And Andre and the boys are in Ottawa on the 16th. And the following two nights, they'll be in downtown Toronto. And folks, this is a Lamenting the Leafs exclusive. As of this recording, these Toronto dates have not been announced yet. So if you're holding on to summer, if you've got that double vax, uh, you're looking for some entertainment this month, please be on the lookout for Andre Pettipaw and the Giants performing at El Macambo Records on the 17th and 18th. And possibly more dates in Ontario pending. Uh, these guys bring the energy every night. And I think we mentioned last time that we played Andre at the start of the offseason. Uh, the band had gotten a spin on the Sportsnet broadcast during the Stanley Cup final. Game four, the only Habs win and the only game to go to OT. That's the song we're going to play for you now. They're actually shooting some footage for the music video for this at the Bell Center on their way to Ontario. It's their next single. It's called Overtime. Here's Andre Pettipaw and the Giants. Thank you for listening to Lamenting the Leafs.
in your stomach. 